0: Welcome to the Six Ways From Sunday podcast. My name's Ben Wilson, your host, and my guest today, another Ben, is my good friend, Ben Campbell. Ben, welcome to the podcast, and thanks so much for joining me for a conversation tonight. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's it's a really an honor to be
1: here. It's great to have a chance to visit with you about things we're passionate about.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited for this. As I think I described to you, the, the whole theme of Six Ways From Sunday is stories of human spirituality and you know, having conversations with people about the things that really make them come alive, talking about their, their purpose in life, um, core based values, um, all of the, the things that uh, I know you're all about. And I also am really excited to have you on because I just watched this film that uh, is not even released yet, and you are so gracious as to give me a little sneak peek. Um, A film that really dives into more of your story and your values and your passion and why you do what you do. So just to start off and to kind of introduce our listeners to who Ben Campbell is, um, and we'll get into the film, but just maybe give people a little bit of a sense of, you know, where you're from, what you do and kind of what you're all about. So that's
1: so funny for me to introduce myself because uh, a friend of mine says that I'm a bit of a chameleon and I can fit into any audience because I um, can adapt and emphasize different parts of my story to, uh, to to fit in whatever makes the most sense. He kind of, he says it jokingly, uh, but it is a little bit true. So I guess if I, I, so I struggle with a definitive way of introducing myself, but I guess I would say that uh, I'm a, a former uh, civil engineer turned rancher um, and an environmentalist and grassland conservationist and so I've wanted to have a purpose-filled life and I've chosen to be uh, a rancher because that's the most enjoyable high impact way that I can um, fulfill my life's purpose.
0: That <laughs> I think you nailed it. Um, <laughs> yeah, way better than I would have been able to do if I was trying to introduce you in my own words. Um, but <laughs> I really relate to that feeling of like, well, which hat am I wearing when I describe myself? And, you know, for you, you're also a father and you're a husband and a son and uh, you're, yeah, you're a landowner and you have a lot of, uh, you have the ability to make a lot of impact in the world through your ranching practices and conservation on your, the land that you own and with your animals. Um, That's one of the things that we're going to definitely dive into, but, touching on one thing that you mentioned there, which we also share besides our having the same name, we both turned our back on the engineering (laughs) profession in pursuit of things that we were more passionate about. So um, let's take me back to this moment in your life where you decided, screw it, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna put in my notice, and I'm quitting my job as a civil engineer. And I'm going to go be a, a rancher. How did you have the the how did you know that that was the right path for you? I think
1: I had, if I were to say I had a, a crystal clear visualization that it wasn't right for me being an engineer was when I realized how right it was for some of my coworkers. So some of my coworkers have like, um, pictures of construction equipment, like artistic drawings. That some, And so some people have spent time doing artistic drawings of dozers and excavators and then had those printed up with the company logo for the company we work with. And then um, other people have them like on the wall in their cubicle or at their house. And they get all those toys for their kids. And they just they love their job. They, they love it. They're excited um, to go to work like we used to work. Um, I worked at a camp job 14 days on seven days off. And I asked the other guys how they felt about that. Cause like some of the guys it was all North of Fort McMurray, but some of the guys lived in Texas and California. And I said, like, do you miss your wife and kids? And they're like, well, by about day five being home, I'm pretty much done and ready to come back to work again. And they, they loved working. They didn't care about working extra hours. And um, anyone that's like in agriculture will be able to like nod their head to this because like, okay, is your house decorated with things from your job? Yes. Do you buy your kids toys that have to do with your job? Yes. No. Do you work extra hours and don't care that you're not getting paid for it? Yes. So, um, I, when I saw how right it was for those people, I knew it could never be, I could never be that good. I couldn't match them either, even though I have the base, same base skills as them um, without the passion, I'll just never be able to do as good of a job at that.
0: Mm. That's really, so. I actually didn't
1: know that I wanted to be in agriculture. I just, I did know that I didn't want to be an engineer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can re- really relate to that too. And I, I always re- think back to a, uh, a really significant turning point for in, in my realization was coming home from my engineering job one day and, laying on the couch kind of moping around and kelly said to me okay you are absolutely miserable you've got to make some kind of change i don't know if it's like what's going on for you and like so we eventually figured out that okay, yeah well it's you know work is really not fulfilling and like and i looked at some of the people in the cubicles next to me and thought you know this guy's been there for 10 12 years and he's still doing the same job that i'm doing and i've only been here a few months and i don't want that to be my future and she and she really pushed me, like re- really pushed me, like you got to make a change. Or this is going to be your life. Like you can't go on like that. And yeah. uh, that was kind of the impetus to like. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew it needed to not be that. So for you, when uh, when you had that realization, did you start to just explore some of your things that you knew you were passionate about? Like you've you mentioned, you've always been uh, really passionate about the environment and conservation and. those sorts of things. And I I know of a few others as well. Like, uh, did, was that part of your exploration or what did you do from there?
1: Yeah, I, I've been, um, looking for what I wanted to do ever since I was a teenager. Um, I, and the problem is not that I couldn't find something that I wanted to do, but that I couldn't narrow it down to one thing because I wanted to do a hundred (laughs) things. I wanted to be a professional actor and a firefighter and in the military And like a hundred different, totally unrelated things. And then at one point I was like, well, maybe I can just change careers halfway through life and at least I can get two things under my belt. Um, (laughs) so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I didn't care about money. So that was nice because then I didn't have to worry about like, that was a factor that I didn't have to take into account, which was nice. Uh, Not that I'm like so rich that I don't have to worry about money, just that that wasn't going to, I knew that wasn't a motivating factor for me. So You know if I was going to be a tour guide as long as I got to do what I enjoyed, it didn't matter if I got paid minimum wage. So um, I did a lot of different things and I knew that I liked being my own boss, making my own schedule, because I'm very I'm not artistic in the way of like painting and drawing, but I am extremely creative. And I think lots of engineers are probably the same way. Uh, we wouldn't identify ourselves as artistic people but we are creative problem solvers. And so I knew that I like doing that. And because of that, I don't like rigidity and I don't like plans. And I don't like uh, knowing what I'm going to do ahead of time. So with those kinds of things in mind, what happened was my dad um, took over the family farm and I was still working full-time as an engineer um, and he needed help. So I would just help out after work. And I was like, this is pretty fun. And a friend of mine said, Yeah, I've heard about this thing called grass fed beef, and it's like good for the environment and it's like good for animals and it makes like healthy food for people. And I was like, Oh, awesome. And so then I started learning about what's now called regenerative agriculture, but wasn't at the time. And um, I was like, Okay, okay, let's do this. Let's see if I could do this. And the more it was like a snowball, the more I did, the more uh, fun it was, the more opportunities I saw. And agriculture allowed me to do um what i wanted which was a hundred different things i could like really focus on horsemanship and roping and learning how to ride and i spent a ton of time like taking riding lessons learning how to ride and then i learned about how to train a stock dog and then i learned about stockmanship and then i learned about corral design and plant species identification and growth patterns and soil health and grazing and how to create water systems in the summer and and also ones for the winter to manage grazing and different we, winter feeding strategies and cattle nutrition and i could maximize my my science and my nature and my animals and it was great it was it was almost everything except for the people stuff which is why i'm so involved like i would join six different boards at the same time and i was traveling out of the province every month for like multiple days a month for conferences and events and meetings and and things, so I was able to. It was just like fill your it was just a buffet, and I just walked away from the buffet with like
0: armfuls of plates full of food. <laughs> and and because that wasn't quite enough, you and Steph, who's working as a nurse full time, um, decided that you you know needed some some children in the mix. So you've had three boys now that are you know five, <laughs> seven, and nine, and keeping you on your toes. How do you like? I just it, I marvel at how you guys keep the ship upright and afloat and keep moving with the currents or against the winds and somehow get where you need to go and, and just accomplish so much.
1: Oh, well, lots of course corrections. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that it's a lot easier to um, check your trajectory often and uh, adjust in small increments rather than... Um, freewheel it and go careening Mm. back and forth from side to side. So the practical thing of that is like Steph and I do uh, check-ins every Tuesday morning at 10 AM. And uh, if we miss it, sometimes we're busy, then we'll do it later in the day or the next day or whenever we'll make sure that we do that. And I see a personal coach um, named David Irvine, who I met through the Irving, who I met through the um, cattle industry. And he's awesome. Um, And I see him individually and Steph and I go there as a couple, um and she sees someone and we have friends that we talk to and um we make sure that we enjoy things Hmm. like you can work yourself like i had i went through some real struggles like 2019 was almost well it was more than i could take uh long term and it was almost more than i could take in the moment it was incredibly crushingly hard um there's been some huge challenges um but I'm an uh, eternal optimist, and I think a lot of people in agriculture are, when they say tomorrow
0: farmers, like,
1: today was an absolute disaster, but tomorrow will be better. So <laughs>
0: You do uh, see a lot, of, a lot of that in the industry, don't you? That you have to yeah. trust that, yeah, it didn't rain this summer, but I'm sure it'll it'll rain next summer. And just, yeah. like, the, the future is going to be better than the present and better than the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice. We have some control over, over some things. And so you can always
1: say, well, I, I don't, I can't make it rain, but I can do this. And so mm-hmm. it's nice to be, to have some, some
0: control. Um, it, I, I was, as you were talking about course corrections, I was just really thinking about how, you know, when you, when we keep our heads down and we just get comfortable, that's what's dangerous, right? Like you can, you can have your head down or, even worse, be literally just in denial of reality of what's of what your yeah. actual circumstances are, and and then not be present to the impact of that and the cost of not having been paying attention, and that that practice that daily practice of being self-aware, checking in with your with your partner, um, with your family, with having really paying attention to your kids and giving them your attention, like those pay such huge dividends in keeping that family unit intact and healthy and keeping those relationships functional, um, and Mm -hmm. just adding, adding joy to your life. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I don't know. I've tried it the other way where you just do and don't think.
0: (laughs) Just keep pushing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You need to. And I've learned my limits too. Like, um, so life is, there's different levels of skill required for different parts of life. And I know that sounds really obvious, but um, it's not sometimes. <laughs> so like it's, it's a uh, grade one requires less skill than um, fourth year university does, or then, you know, the seventh year of your PhD program. But when you're in grade one, you have less skill. So your skill is matched fairly evenly to the challenge. And it feels probably roughly as challenging as when you're an adult doing high-skilled activities. Um, And so one of the things that I realized was, okay, life, like when you're 25 years old and you have lots of spare time and your spouse has lots of time, it's really easy to get along. There's very little stress and you have tons of opportunity to have quality time together. And when you're working all the time and you have little kids, it's very difficult to have a good marriage and to get along and to have a healthy self and time for yourself. So it actually requires more skill just to be as good as you were when you were 25. So first realizing that and giving yourself the grace saying, okay, the reason I'm doing poorly or the reason this feels so challenging is because it is challenging. (laughs) And then I need to level myself up. I need to get some skills to handle this. And that was part of the reason why I started seeing uh, David was like, okay, I, I, you know, if I'm going to go for a a two hour walk in the park, I'm fine. in like whatever running shoes I happen to be wearing and the jeans and whatever. But if I'm going to like do a mountaineering ice climbing adventure, I need like a very specific set of tools and skills. And so you get those before you go. And so I need to get them now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, So I want to circle us back to one thing I mentioned in sort of right at the beginning of this conversation. And that is that I just had the privilege of viewing this film that is all about your story of, so the film's called Grazed Right, which is also the name of your grass-fed beef business. So Grazed mm. Right sells um, beef products directly to consumers in like the Calgary area. You've been at that for quite some time. And um, I, I would love to know, like we'll dive right into the story of how did this film come to be and what was it like um, shooting it and having this the camera crew um, at your place for days. And I mean, I'm I'm lucky enough that I've also had the opportunity to be the camera crew <laughs> at your place a few times. So I can sort of imagine <laughs> already what that would have been like. But one thing that you mentioned in the film that I just want to bring us to is you talk about some of your challenges. And then you talked about one of the things that really feeds your soul. And that uh, is one of those bonding moments uh, that you try to to do frequently with Steph and the boys. And that's just to get outside and sit in the grass and sit in nature. Tell me what that does for you and how that came to be sort of a, a practice for your family that grounds you guys.
1: Yeah, it's um I it's one of those things so I never thought um I was an animal person growing up. Like I mean I like animals, but it's you know people I'm an animal person and, and they're like obsessed with animals and they just want like a million pets and I was like no, nah, I'm a people person. Like I love uh, visiting with people and all this stuff. I just I just love people. Um and then someone I remember said, "How do you spell love?" You spell it T I M E. And so I thought about that and I was like I spend almost all my time with animals and in nature like I own hundreds of animals (coughs) which I love yeah and I must maybe maybe I'm an animal person and uh, when I say animals I mean like bugs are animals and birds are animals and frogs and like it's not just pets like it's nature I love nature Um, You know, little tiny bacteria to me are are animals and there's this all this stuff. It it really goes into what nature is. Um, And I found myself when I my favorite thing to do is when like the work is done, like, I don't know, after seven o'clock at night. Yeah, the day is pretty much done. I'm definitely not starting any big projects. I'm just going to go check the cows and I'd ride my horse out to the field and I check the cows and there's nothing wrong and I have no hurry to get home. So I would just sit on the ground and the cattle would quite, they're also done for the most part, they're done their day too. They've put in their eight hours of grazing um, and they're kind of just hanging out and oh, what's this guy doing here. And they come in and sniff my feet and, and look at me and smell me. And, and the horse like, Oh, this is great. There's a bunch of free grass out here. And <laughs> we're all just like, no one has an any, any like a specific plan or activity. We're just being, I don't know. I just, it's a real, strong sense of being and i get emotional when i talk about it because that's we are animals <laughs> i belong in nature i don't belong in a house that's where i'm from that's how my mind and my body chemistry has adapted to feel and to be comfortable is in nature i haven't adapt my body hasn't adapted to be comfortable eating a bag of chips on a couch watching tv I meaning in the short term i'm sort of less like a shortcut to happiness, but it's definitely not what my body really has evolved to. And so when I do that, I just feel peace and connection with the world. And I think that disconnectivity is what can cause some real pain and suffering for people. And it's really, I mean, it's hard if you don't know where it's coming from, why you're having that. But that connection, I'm like, okay, it's not just me alone in the world. I'm connected to these animals. I'm connected to the the grass and the air and this environment like and I connect not just to it in the moment but it in the past I can I can imagine these there's a we've got a big rubbing stone that bison thousands and thousands of bison have rubbed for thousands of years in our place and I put my hand on that and I feel when bison were there and I remember that woolly mammoths walked through this area and you know Native Americans from 7,000 years ago were walking through what's my yard right now like this is dinosaurs lived here i mean it's just this unbelievable connection to the world and i start getting so emotional and we're all stardust and, you know all this stuff <laughs> and i just like oh i just feel like i am someone said like when the universe first started after the big bang there was just hydrogen and now there's us and we are the consciousness of the universe we're not separate from the we're not separate observers of the universe we are the universe observing and experiencing itself and when you feel like that, you feel connected, and it's just so fulfilling. Oh that's so funny from sitting in a field with cows. Oh, I it gives,
0: well, it gives me goosebumps as you're talking, Ben. But it is at the same time hilarious that from the question of "So, why do you like sitting in the grass with your kids?" <laughs> you, within like three minutes, we're we're at you know thinking about the cosmos and and our place in it. But it, I think for me, what it. What I'm hearing you describe and share is that that, um, that quiet and that peace and the like putting work and all the other distractions that, that have us doing the doing of life, putting all of that aside for a, for a moment and just simply being creates the space that you can contemplate some of these big questions that I love unpacking with people and, and hearing their views on like, why are we here? what is consciousness? What, where did we come from? Where did, why is there life on this, on this planet and supposedly nowhere else in the observable uh, universe that we've discovered yet? Or maybe is there, you know, all these big questions,
2: mm-hmm. you've,
0: you've got the space there to feel connected to something bigger than yourself and to contemplate all of that.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: what I also am hearing in in your sharing is like, that you're not just connected to the bugs and the the um, all of the microscopic stuff that's living in the soil and and making everything healthy and and the cattle that are grazing that grass and and your kids and and the community that you're feeding through the meat the beef that you're producing, but you're also connected across time, right? Like you're you're creating something and doing something that's leaving a permanent impact or as permanent as as things can be in our human scale, right? I mean, mm-hmm. eventually yeah. our own sun is going to um, fizzle out <laughs> and, and our solar system won't even exist. But you're, you're creating something that has relative permanence and you're leaving a legacy, uh, which is something that was also talked about in the film that I just watched mm-hmm. the other day. You talk a lot about legacy. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about, like... When you have your kids out there with you, when you and Steph are thinking about and talking about you know, why you're doing what you're doing, why you're working so hard to make the changes and, and to do all of the experimenting that you guys do to figure things out to the best you possibly can for the land, what is the legacy that you're trying to create by, by doing all that?
1: I think the easiest way to put it is that the way that I was brought up is that you return something in better condition than you borrow it. So if someone lends you their truck, you return it with a full tank of gas or it's been washed or something. You don't just return it back the way you got it. And so the farm and the land and really the planet is something that we are borrowing from our children and grandchildren. And so they're, they, they're it's without a doubt they're going to get it from me, like I'm a temporary resident in this house. My grandparents built it. They lived in it for uh, almost 70 years. And now i it's my house. And I hope that I will live in it for a time and then it will be someone else's. Uh, and I see that with the intergenerational stuff is nice because it gives me a real clear picture of that. Of course, it's true for everyone, but I'm opening and closing gates that my grandfather built. And I'm thinking, oh, that was a pretty smart place to put that gate. And when I put something somewhere, I think, oh, my kids are going to be using this. I hope they don't curse me. I hope they know when I built this, you know, that's why I did it. And and it's the same thing with the environment is like, what do I enjoy the most? Well, I don't enjoy my house the most. I I enjoy the environment. I love the diversity, like walking through our native grassland um, fields is one of our favorite things to do because we just Everyone finds something different. This one's this is a different type of a thistle than that type of a thistle. This is a different type of a yellow flower than that type of yellow flower. There's all this diversity and it's magical, it's beautiful. And that's what I want to leave to my kids, both the physical thing, but also the appreciation and understanding. Uh, because that's it's so powerful. Like when we sit, like I was saying, when I sit like that, I you were right that it's the still, I think. Um, you you have a, a monkey brain that like is activity driven, and when you sit and you're at peace, your monkey brain turns off, and your soul turns on and starts to think and speak. And I feel like that connection with my kids—we can—I don't know—our souls get to all be out and together at once, and it's just it's like magical. Mm-hmm.
0: That sounds amazing, and it's something that not very many people get to have anymore in terms of um, just the the easy access and freedom to walk out of your back door and hop on a horse or a quad or hop in the pickup, hop, you know, pile the family in the pickup truck or just walk out onto the land like you guys do um, with, with having a farm, because there's mm-hmm. just, I mean, it used to be everyone was pretty connected to agriculture in some way, or you had a garden and, you know, we've kind of just, we're an urbanized culture, right? So we don't have that mm-hmm. same um, the same relationship with the natural world as we used to, but it's such a recent thing. Like you think about the time scale of human evolution, and it's just like it's like two seconds ago that we invented condo living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and now we've got all of these weird um, consequences and, and side effects of that. And everyone's you know, got ADHD and everyone's struggling with depression and anxiety. And we're, a lot of this stuff is like directly or indirectly, I think related to either the nutrients that we're not getting or just the activity we're not getting, the fresh air, we're not getting the, the, the vistas and the, you know, just enjoying nature and getting out and and looking at the horizon and seeing water moving and all these things that we, for hundreds of thousands of years, always, always had
2: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i i feel like the image i get is like what you're describing um with anxiety and depression and and all these things is is like a rudderless ship you know drifting about in the sea being pushed back and forth by the wind and waves versus a ship that's got a course and it's cruising across the waves in whichever direction it chooses and it's like this when you connect with what your purpose is um, and, and and when I say your purpose, I don't mean like your job. Um, I just mean like what what strums your inner chord that is like gives you this harmonic frequency that just amplifies everything and makes things bigger. And you can if anyone that, that um, knows that will know exactly what I'm talking about, even though I'm doing a really poor job of describing it. But there was a book called Small is Beautiful, and it was written in the 1970s by a British economist. And he said that like the way our brains are programmed, um, we're not used to having people who are managers or like financial advice, whatever the, those jobs are that you don't actually do anything physical you don't create anything. Like you don't build a building, you fund, you finance the building of a building. You, you don't make it or grow anything. And he says, but people have that desire and that's why you have people who like h- hobby woodwork or work on automobiles or have gardens or are so meticulous about their lawns because we have that innate
0: desire in us to produce and do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I I disagree that you weren't doing a good job of describing that before, because to me it's beautiful and poetic almost the way the words you're using. But I just, I think that makes so much sense. Even if you look at it scientifically from how our species, uh, I mean, what it took to just simply survive,
2: Mm -hmm. you
0: know, you, you, we used to spend the overwhelming majority of our waking hours, either just finding food, shelter, or fighting off threats, (laughs) right? Yeah. And, um, and, and then eventually we started just quite recently having this luxury of leisure time Mm -hmm. and, 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 or dividing labor into like, you know, this is what you're going to specialize in, you know, putting this button on this widget and, and that's what you're going to do for eight or 10 hours a day, five, six (laughs) days a week. And, There's repercussions of that when we're not in tune with the way the human brain evolved to to operate in a healthy state.
1: Yeah, Hmm. yeah, absolutely.
0: So I I want to jump back again to talking about this film that that um, is is going to be coming out soon. For one thing, I just why don't you tell us a little bit about how it came to be um, in in your mind? How you describe what it's about, and then maybe give us a glimpse of what it was like. In the shooting of of the film Grazed Right. Sure. So um
1: it came to be because uh the people, the uh, producer and um the people that were making that saw the Guardians of the Grasslands uh film, which was made by some very good friends of mine, <laughs> you and Sarah, story <laughs> brokers, and they loved it and they thought it was great. Um and so they they reached out um to the Canadian Cattlemen's Association and said, Hey, we want to talk to this Ben guy. How do we how to get a hold of them and uh, they did a couple interviews with me and decided, yeah, okay, this is worth flying from Ontario out here and spending a week of our time uh, doing this and so they did. they came out for like a full seven days and they came out, they were here at seven in the morning until 10 at night pretty much every day I told them, look, I'm not going to wake up at 7am and start doing stuff with you guys. I'm going to like, I got to make food for my kids. And they're like, no, 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 it's fine. We'll just like film from outside in the windows and, and around. And I was like, Oh my gosh, these guys are going (laughs) to be so annoying. I'm not going to get anything done. So I I, like kind of scheduled it so that I had time. Cause I mean, it, Oh no, we'll just follow you around while you work is the classic thing that people say when they're going to like put photograph or video you. Yeah, And it's like, totally a huge, uh, cumbersome thing to, to have people following you around. And so it was great. These guys were super casual. There was like nothing planned. They would just tag along. What are you doing right now? Okay. Uh, what are you doing after lunch? Kate, okay, we'll just come for that. I said, okay. Yeah, sure. They had their own car. I remember when they got here, I was like, so how are you guys going to actually get around like in the field? And they're like, Oh, we'll just go with you. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be riding on a quad by myself. <laughs> with a bunch of tools so i don't know do you guys have quads or a truck they're like we just rented a car i'm like all right i guess we'll figure it out so i ended up just shuttling them on the quad like from point a to point B. you're kidding
0: <laughs> with the boom pole and the cameras and it sounds like they're they kind of showed up with like a real a real hunger for telling this like a real interest in telling this story and a real willingness to um to just be flexible and adaptable and kind of winging it as, as they went and not, I'm sure not knowing really what the whole story was going to be, that was going to emerge through all of this filming, which is such a fun format of storytelling is it's like, you're discovering the story and and mm-hmm. really discovering the characters, like discovering who Tony, your father is and discovering, you know, what's going on here with, with Steph and what's her worldview and what's her, you know work experience as a as a nurse what does that bring to the farm operation and all these different things and dynamics that created the film
1: yeah absolutely they were looking for um conflict and something like a problem that we could ha- address like we, there could be a problem we could identify it address it and overcome it while they were here and i was like no that's not the time scales that i work on like <laughs> the thing is you' the thing that that's going to happen in the span of a week is not going to be uh, a big enough picture item that's going to be interesting to you but they uh they were really flexible in um in what they were willing to um to to do and then we steph and i were we just decided like let's just be ourselves and be honest and we'll just like uh, when i say be ourselves and be honest that's a given but i mean like really be ourselves like just really say how we feel and what we think and trust that they're not going to, you know, frame that in a bad way or misuse that or take it out of context. Um, And, and that was, that was a big leap. And I mean, really just be Mm. honest and say, this is, this is what I love. This is my passion. This is, this is how I feel about this. This is, these are my biggest fears. These are my biggest aspirations Hmm. rather than trying to like say, well, I'll just frame my biggest aspirations into something that's like a little bit more. Yeah. yeah the way that how would you people that i've only known at the first day for one day and the second day for two days you don't normally get that involved in, with someone no. but they they had really um deep interviews quite often and a lot of questions and uh why how do you know you're doing a good job what makes you think that that's good and i was like oh man yeah it's good to question like these base assumptions <laughs> for sure it was really i it was i took a lot away from it i was really beneficial
0: but you also, Ben, are someone who is no stranger to the camera. You've been interviewed. Well, geez, I've like Sarah and I alone have interviewed you probably four or five times. Um, yeah. You've been interviewed in different articles. You've been—I'm sure—you've been on the radio a bunch. And um, and going back further into your childhood, you were you were a child actor, and we can <laughs> we should talk about <laughs> that too. But yeah, uh, you, so I think you are unlike most people. like The typical person would not not be accustomed to really thinking like, hmm. well, what what would my answer to this question be? How would I like to present myself? How, you know, in obviously wanting mm. to be honest and authentic and vulnerable, but um, even just thinking about the kinds of questions that they would ask you about, like if most people had a camera crew show up at their place of work or in their home or both, <laughs> and you're like in your case, follow them around while they're trying to make supper and, and also go and feed the cows and, and uh you know move fencing and stuff like uh there are just the average person's not not used to that um <laughs> do you, would you say that um because you've had some acting experience when you were uh, a young boy that that has kind of shaped um and made you so comfortable on camera uh today like whether it was in like you were in guardians of the grasslands and and uh, so many other times on camera that it, does it just feel easier for you because you've been doing this for so many years
1: yeah i never really thought about about that lots of people say oh you're you're great on camera and i'm like i don't know i i'm a very um like bubbly talkative person i just i like uh people and like i said that's um i spend most of my day with animals and so when <laughs> someone comes and they're like well let's just talk about stuff and always when people are <clears throat> recording something, they're talking about something that I'm deeply passionate about. So mm. I think, so you're right. in that most people aren't comfortable necessarily with like a camera crew showing up. But at the same time, I think if you went to anyone and said, tell me about what you're most excited about and what you're most passionate about, tell me what you're like, what the most interesting thing of your job is people are like, Oh, I love a lot of people. Not everyone. A lot of people are like, I love talking about myself. These are like, that's like the key to good conversation is basically to do what those videographers are doing is to like ask questions about things that are interesting to the other person and then listen to their response. Yeah. And uh, so in that way, it's like it's extremely easy and extremely natural. But I guess in the camera sense, um, yeah, I've grown up on, on the camera or in front of the camera. Like uh, it was my full time job for a number of years as a kid for six years. I was uh, pretty active. Uh, child actor and for two of those years it was a full-time job five days a week um, 12 hours a day and so the fact that there was a camera rolling and 30 people watching was like just white noise and right. I started as a kid so I I just grew into it I think I remember the first day I was a little bit awkward uh, on camera but then <laughs> after that it, just, it it's just it's just your full-time job let's like when you go to university first you can tell first year university students the first week of school because they're treating it like high school and they do their hair and they wear nice clothes. And by like two weeks into school, you don't even want to be at that class anymore. You're like, Oh, this is boring. And people are in like, they've just worn their pajamas to class. It's just like, (laughs) sure. It's just the, I don't, you know, give a F transition. And that happens in front of the camera too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The nerves go away so I remember yeah. the first time that Sarah and I were at your place um, Boy, probably five or six years ago now, almost. And um, we were, of course, your parents uh, insisted that we come in and have some lunch. And we were in the living room and I saw a picture of you as a kid uh, with Sam Elliott. And I thought, Holy smokes, how do you know Sam Elliott? And that was when <laughs> you first started telling us the story, but I forget now the name of the show that you, that you were on.
1: You know, my name.
0: It's called, you know, my name.
1: Yeah, it's a movie. It was a, a TNT movie. Uh, I think it was a movie of the week. And I, I think it's like on YouTube and you can watch it on YouTube. Oh, really? All I bought on. it in a discount DVD bin when I was like 20. I was like, hey, I'm in this movie. Um, it at like a Canadian Tire or something. That's
0: hilarious. Yeah, well, now I'm going to have to go and, and look and see if I can find that and watch it and see if see how recognizable you are. So you, you were 10 or 11 at that time? Uh, no, that one, I think I was 14. Okay but it was around that kind of like 11 or 12 to 14, 15 kind of early now, years. age
1: nine was my first commercial. Oh, wow. I did a full just coffee commercial um, with uh, just by chance, the lady in the commercial that played my mom played my mom on Jake and the kid, the TV series. So age nine until 15 was when I was most active.
0: Wow. And like, this was a big commitment for your parents too. Like you guys had to move to Edmonton for a while to make this work. I mean, you weren't going to at that age drive back and forth to wherever the studio was going to be, unless you were, you know, lived close enough and you guys were, uh, Back then, you were still, you were already kind of living close to where you are now, right? At, at Black Diamond. Just yeah. So, south, yeah, we lived on County. the farm
1: growing up. Yeah. So, yeah, my whole family, they got us a house in Edmonton, and my siblings and my parents, we'd all moved to Edmonton. My dad sort of kind of stayed home so he could work a bit. Um, yeah. But my mom was on set with me full time. So wow. she left with me in the morning. I mean, we were gone. I think it was, a, we were shooting, I think I was on the clock 11 hours my first year, a day and 12 hours a day my second year,
0: plus travel. So it was big days. Wow. It's amazing that that's even allowed.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I remember the transition because I think I was 11 my first year and 12, my second year of the TV show. And I I got to work an extra hour, which I was like super pumped about. Like I would have lived there. I, I remember contract negotiation for the between the first year and the second year. And I just told the producer who was there talking about contract stuff. And I was like, I don't even care if I get paid. Like, this is so much fun. (laughs) uh, He's like, you're not supposed to say that in contract negotiation, but like as a kid who cares, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh man. Isn't it wild to think Ben that you, that, that when you look back at those pictures or just thinking in your memory of those memories, that that was the same organism slash human being that you are sitting on zoom with me tonight and that all these people are going to be listening to our conversation like you're you know you're i think you're around my age right like i'm about to turn 40 how old are you
1: i'm turning 38 this okay. spring
0: yeah. yeah so like you know almost almost 30 years ago to now, now and it's so like you probably never would have imagined at age 9 or 10 and 11 that you're going to have three sons and have this farm and maybe you, maybe you, you, you figured that that would be your future, but (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like the future is so wildly unpredictable from any moment in the present. And it's impossible to, you know, we, even though we are literally the authors of our destiny and we're like creating, we are creating our life in the present moment. We have no idea what it's going to look like. A week from now, let alone 30 years into the future, if we're lucky to have that kind of time.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, in some ways, when you, I remember like vividly what it was like to be a kid. And I, I'm going to sound, uh, make myself sound a little dumb, but I think I stopped, I'm pretty sure I stopped mentally aging when I was in grade eight. I remember grade seven or grade eight being like, Every year before that, I, I felt different, and after that, I never felt different anymore. So I'm essentially a 13 year old in this 37 year old body. But I remember like the way I thought, and I remember all these things, and I will remember wanting to have kids. I remember all that stuff, and so in some ways, I'm the exact same person that I've always been. But in other ways, I you're you're a totally different person than you ever were. You're just really instead of being one person going through life you're a series of people that are just connected via a body, you know,
0: always changing and becoming a new person. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Like I even just think about that as I notice little things that like, hmm, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm approaching 40 and I'm noticing that the hair in my ears and in my nose is growing a lot faster than it (laughs) used to. And, you know, little wrinkles here and there and my hair's going gray and, oh, I just think like, isn't it so weird that you have this body that you, that kind of carries you around, but it's not who you are. It's, it's flesh and skin and hair and bones and blood, but yeah, and it's collectively, it's this, you know, they say there's more um, non-human cells or like, uh, yeah, in your body than human cells because of all the microscopic bacteria and viruses and things that are team all the the stuff that that is living inside of our our guts and all over our body and even just on the surface of your skin and so you're really like a walking community
1: it's amazing that it's able to generate consciousness it's 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 Uh, I mean, this level, whatever level we're at, which is a pretty interesting thing to consider because there's different levels of consciousness. And so you can imagine lower levels of consciousness, like the level of consciousness that a two-year-old has,
0: or a dog dog has, or
1: that maybe a worm has. But imagine like two levels of consciousness above us. Like I, it's all these assumptions that you used to have, like this was the top level of consciousness because it's my personal top level. But I highly doubt this is the top level of consciousness that exists. And it's just virtually completely unfathomable of what higher states of consciousness are Yeah, both intelligence and
0: consciousness, which are totally different things. That's true. There is a distinction there. So do you think Ben, that there, that there are higher levels and what, how would you describe those? Like, I mean, I can, I think it's safe to say that within any given human population, there's a wide range of both of those, you know, intellect and consciousness. Yeah. That you know we're we're not all made the same, and I'll look at <laughs> a lot of people who are way more evolved and self-actualized and self-aware than I am, and I, so I can sort of imagine like okay, that's what being on a higher plane looks like, and but you know what's a a ten x of that? I you, yeah. you're right, you can't wrap your head around it. I mean, what, what do you think? Like, what do you think is out there? Yeah, is possible. Uh-huh.
1: Well, that's, there's two things. One is like, um, what exists. And then the other one is what I would need to be in order to understand that. Like the best example is like trying to explain, um, like we have made a lot of scientific discoveries in the universe and how old it is and quantum mechanics and, uh, theories of relativity, but you can't explain any of that to a dog. And like, well, yeah, but that's, we don't talk the way the dogs talk, but even if I spoke dog perfectly, my dog's not going to understand any of that. And so if like, okay, well, like, what if there was this other stuff out there? Well, there is, and maybe we just can't even realize it because I, we don't have the the hardware um, yeah. to, to run, to understand that, that information. And so I kind of think like, okay, I would, I am totally crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I would under the right circumstances, totally be a bionic person with a, with an artificial intelligence computer processor brain or some way to genetically alter myself to become, you know, way smarter than I am because I don't think I could even appreciate anything until I, you know, had a, a next level forward. And so we talk about all these like growing and super technology and I'm like, yeah, but you can't do those. You can't be a part of that system without changing yourself too. because we're reaching i mean there's already uh information that we humanity knows that i can't understand i've watched a lot of videos on quantum mechanics and cosmology and i rewind them and watch them again and rewind i don't get it and i've Mm -hmm. been to many high level math classes at university Mm -hmm. where i just didn't get it and that's fine i mean i'm so thankful for that that i know i'm just like I'm glad there's people smarter than me out there, but I'm already at the limit of my understanding. It's not for lack of information that I don't know things it's for lack of capability. Mm.
0: So
1: that's, that's an interesting thing.
0: That is a really, I love the way you describe that. Um, Yeah. They, they talk about the, the technology that we've seen progress in the last hundred years is insane, but we're also, it's sort of hitting this, um, the ceiling almost where the interface between uh, AI or computer technology and the human brain is still comes down to like two thumbs. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, and it all has to, you know, be filtered through this human brain and and the limits of what it can comprehend and what it has language for to, to describe and to receive. But uh, man, it's, it's so interesting to think about where our species could be in like with our kids we often do this thing would you rather they will be mm-hmm. out for a family walk and I guess this is our version of going and sitting in the grass is we'll just go walk around town and like see yeah. who we bump into and and yeah. just get some fresh air and just walk and take the dog with us and walk as a family and Grayson the other day said dad let's let's do would you rathers and they're just fun mental exercises right like would you rather be able to Fly like Superman or be invisible was one that mm-hmm. we had the other day. But we'll—I remember one time exploring with the kids. Like, would you rather, if you could travel in time, would you rather travel into the past or into the future? And mm-hmm. my my answer to that always is future. I can I can read about the past. I can watch documentaries, and I can yeah. like it. It already has happened there, like, <laughs> But the future, like, if I could travel a thousand years into the future and see like what have we done with the planet have we have we course corrected like you said before have we yeah. had the uh, the awareness to realize how badly we're damaging the earth and its life support mm-hmm. systems and have we healed the land and have we figured out equitable ways to feed everybody and to share resources without blowing up maternity wards and and hacking yeah. you know invading other countries and Taking their stuff, like have we have we figured it out enough to get along and to and have we evolved? Have we, you know, in a thousand years or ten thousand years? What is the human brain capable of? I'm yeah, so, so so good. curious. But you I'm, know I'm
1: blown away with that stuff because you think like like the things that we do, and you think about like, well, 500 years ago was like medieval times, and like <laughs> yeah. what's what's the world going to be like in 200 years? All these futuristic movies usually they're like like back to the future was set 30 years in the future yeah. and there's like flying cars and we control the weather. We look on these tiny scales because that's the scale of our lives, but like a thousand years into the future is a long time. 10,000 years. Like what, what about 7 million years? What about 75 million years? Like those are timescales. It's just crazy. The time scales that exist, It is. you know, will there, will there still be what, one of the things I thought, so like uh Roman civilization was, huge and there were it was very modern it was they were like us like they were living in the modern times and uh there was a, a roman person who said i'm glad that i'm born and alive in the modern times and for us that's like ancient rome right <laughs> so uh, everyone like everyone spoke uh latin and and because it was like the dominant civilization for that area and not nobody. Nobody speaks conversational Latin. Nobody believes. I don't think, anyway, that I know of, in those religions anymore. Like, I at one at one day, someone will speak the last word of English, and one day, the last physical person will die that was the equivalent of a modern human to us. Yeah. Like we're not. The world is not static. Want just realizing, taking a couple steps back and realizing, like you look at a map of the the Earth, and you're like, these are the continents, and this is where the world is, and like it used to be there, but now it's here, and we we have this feeling that we've like we're at the end point, when really it's all shifting and it's continually shifting. It was shifting before, it's shifting now, it's going to continue shifting in the future. Like this, where I live, used to be under an ocean, um, mm-hmm. and now it's now there's mountains, and like it's we're just in this massive shift uh continually, it's just we're we have such short lives that we don't see it that way. But like mm. these things will end. people like when you try reading books from a you know not even that long ago that are in English, you're like, well, this is like hard to even understand what they're saying. In three hundred years, people might not even be able to understand me. Yeah. Like it might be maybe it'll be a lost language in five hundred years, and no, probably not, well, hopefully not, but nobody maybe will know, but definitely one day someone will speak the last word of modern English. It's is I a crazy thing. Yeah, I've never thing.
0: thought about that before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Man, I... What we consider modern English.
0: Yeah. Jeez, I, I don't know, I
1: felt, I think, in these, like, scales, and I look back, so I'm very interested in my family. I'm trying to comprehend and come to terms with my mortality, which I'm still in the process of. And one of the ways that I feel myself existing with a purpose where I don't feel like none of it matters is that I am um, in a chain of my ancestors and descendants. And so that's a way that I have an impact. My ancestors had an impact on me and I have an impact on my descendants in many different ways and how I raise them and biology and in the world I leave them. So it's a way to see myself on a larger scale that matters. And I look back and I'm, I'm trying to on purpose know who my... Great grandparents and my great great grandparents are and what they were like, what they looked like and what they what they enjoyed. So that partly a little bit of a selfish thing is I hope that people care, my you know, great-great-grandchildren care about me, at least some of them in that way. But I also I'm interested, it's just a way for me to view my life. And then I we have a family tree that goes back to the year 1040. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And I can think back like that's so cool. So, in a way, my ancestors were alive in the year 10. I know their name. I was I, I'm i a part of that my DNA that's the source my source DNA was there and so in a way i I existed back then and then I think oh it's so cool like dying at the time of dinosaurs but then I'm like I was alive in the time of dinosaurs not me Ben but me in my string of ancestors was like I didn't just come I didn't just like uh vaporize out of there come into existence <laughs> out of thin air. Yeah. I am the survivor of someone who had a baby who was able to reproduce before they died. And so their parent was able to reproduce before they died in an uninterrupted chain all the way back to the time of dinosaurs. You know, there was some sort of, you know, proto mammal that was able to have offspring before it died. And that one had offspring. It's just amazing that that chain never broke. And I'm connected to there. That's, that's why I have five fingers, the same as all these other things, because we share a common ancestor. That's why, when I looked at that thing of my ancestors back to the year 1000, and I'm like, okay, when I, when I went to Scotland recently, I stayed with my dad's cousins who I'd never met They're blood relatives of mine. They let me stay in their house. They never met me before, but they let me stay because we're family. And I realized like, (laughs) oh, it's cool. They're my blood relatives. I'm your blood relative, like not a, like in a metaphorical sense, like I am a literal blood relative of yours and every other human. I'm actually a blood relative of my dog and all my cows and this like whole thing. I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's like so invigorating, And I'm like this sense of community and purpose. And we're in this together. And this perspective is just, like really exciting
0: and also
1: ridiculous
0: yeah, and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> But I, I really love how um, you're just a person who really has a rich um, appreciation for things that are old, for things that have history. Like in your, in your home, I'm looking at the art and the wall behind you and there's these old pictures and in your, you have this, you have a library in your grandfather, in your grandparents home where your grandma used to swim laps in the pool that you still have outside. And, and, mm-hmm. and in, in this library, you have all these books of things that you're passionate about and, this fireplace hearth and mantle that your grandparents, you know, put things that matter to them. And there's this string of continuity. You've got rugs and old furniture and things all over your house that have, have story to them. And mm-hmm. when you really stop and think about it, I think everything that, that matters about our existence kind of boils down to just the, the stories that are, that are behind those things and the stories that we leave. Hmm. I I I'm still grappling with my own mortality too, and don't have. I have way more questions than I have answers. That's why I love doing this podcast. Uh, honestly, mm-hmm. is just not to like figure things out with people, but to sit in the tension of the impossibility of answering those questions, and to yeah. say, "Hey, let's let's talk about all this stuff that that there are no neat and tidy answers for." And if someone tells you that there are i'd be very <laughs> nervous about you know believing uh a lot of that because they're just you know usually when when someone tries to give you like well the answer is this like our uh, our minister at the church that we go to the united church in basha robin says you might as well say that the purpose of life is 42 and it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a reference it's a movie reference but yeah um like it's just it is that ridiculous like that that, that anyone could say, well, <laughs> the purpose of life is this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you know, as, as a parent of young kids, like you get asked these big questions all the time where they'll stop you in your tracks while you're in the middle of trying to make them a snack or something. And it's like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I don't have an answer to that. I don't know why we're here or I don't know what happens after we die. And uh, you, you know, you don't know what to say to them in those moments a lot of the time, because you don't want to just give them this, well, you know, here's the one simple little cut and dry answer that will stop you from asking questions. Mm -hmm. I I want to celebrate their, their curiosity, you know, and, and, and encourage them to stay curious and stay seeking and, and exploring for themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, you don't learn um, if you think, you know, Like we don't have knowledge because we knew we had not. We have knowledge because we didn't know, and we wanted to find out. And so we do have like obviously some like scientific knowledge, but these big picture things like if you have a solution, if you think you know the answer, you're you're probably definitely never going to find the answer because you're not going to be looking anymore and you're not going to be contemplating it. And for some people, I think that that's uh, clearly for you and I. It's it's exciting and it's part of, we enjoy to some extent, like it's, it would also be comforting to just know, um, but we also enjoy contemplating it. And I think um, for some people, it's just, it's just easier to know and it's scary to not know. And it's, I remember in my life knowing a lot more than I used to know now, or than I used to know a lot more than I know now. And uh, that was way easier. Like it was way easier just knowing what was good and bad and right and wrong. And this is how the world is. That was simple. <laughs> that was yeah.
0: great. yeah. But as you really grapple with the complexity of it, it's both um, infuriating and beautiful, and uh, yes, at the, all of that at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think this is maybe a good spot to to wrap it up for for tonight, Ben. And I I feel like I could do this with you for hours, and we should definitely have more of this kind of conversation. Maybe sitting out. Yeah on one of your pastures on the hillside at your beautiful farm, maybe with some, some kids running around and collecting eggs from the hens and just, uh, or whenever we get a chance, Oh, uh, I know that i would enjoy more of this. So I want to thank you for carving out some time to do this with me today and for being so willing to share some of your stories, some of your worldview and beliefs and your um, just who you are with our our community of listeners i'm sure everybody listening will have gotten a, a lot out of this so thank you
1: yeah thank you this has been so great uh to to talk about things that i'm passionate about with someone who i respect and and appreciate and so it's just yeah this is just great to to be able to talk about these things and think about them and, and also to know that someone else my age is grappling with their mortality and trying to figure things out it doesn't know the answer i mean, it's it's uh very i don't know i think that's one of the only things i've said this to staff is the world is scary but at least i know i'm not alone and and that is comforting we're all we're all in this together
0: yeah we're sharing this this tiny little pale blue dot for this little sliver of time but Mm -hmm. we're on we're on the ride together yeah so yeah it does feel good to to not be alone (laughs) anyone who would like to check out more of these kind of conversations Our uh, website is risingspiritministry.com and you can click on podcasts there. You can also um, subscribe and leave a rating uh, for the six ways from Sunday podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, And yeah, just want to thank everybody for tuning in, checking out this episode with Ben and Ben and uh, we've got (laughs) some other great guests coming up that are lined up for the next uh, few weeks. We generally put out a new episode every second Friday. So, this one, uh, Ben, will be going out this Friday, and then two weeks from now, uh, we'll have a new episode. And throughout the year, this is our fifth season of this show, so we're, you know, we've are you done like over, well over 100 of these. And wow. uh, so, yeah, for, for anyone who likes doing this type of um, seeking and, and wandering through these deep and uh, mysterious questions um, about life as a human being, there's lots to explore in the archives, for sure. Uh, and lots of great conversations coming down the pipe in the near future so thank you again Ben thank you everyone for listening and uh, until next time take care be well